I'm Jeff Cohen. Karen Sorkin knew she wanted to be a registered nurse from a very young age. In fact, she used to cover her stuffed animals in Band-Aids. Doc McStuffins would certainly be proud. She also grew up Catholic, but never quite felt a strong connection to religion until she discovered Judaism. So let's hear her story. Karen, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thanks so much, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you making the time. And let's start at the, the way beginning. Tell me about kind of your parents, grandparents, and their, their origin story. Sure. As far as I know, my maternal great-grandparents settled in the United States from Ireland and Great Britain. My paternal great-grandparents also settled in Brooklyn, Long Island. They were primarily from France by way of Canada and also from Germany as well. Okay, and from a religious perspective, what are those two lines in your ancestry? Both were Catholic as far as I know. No Judaism. (laughs) Okay, so, and your parents are both raised Catholic, or what's their story? Parents were both raised Catholic. They both went to Catholic high school. My dad went to an all-boys Catholic high school on Long Island, and my mom went to a co-ed Catholic high school on Long Island as well. Got it. And they met in the tri-state area, or where were they when their lives intersected? Oh, very interesting story. Uh, my dad was my mom's paper boy when they were little. Wow. And he was um, five years older than her. So they didn't really mix in the exact same circles, but his friends were the older siblings of my mom's friends. And it was my mom's best friend, Betty's brother who suggested that my dad take my mom out on a date um, because they did have a mutual friend from the neighborhood getting married. So their first date was at a wedding. My dad <laughs> my dad at the time was in the Marine Corps and he and my mom dated back and forth when he was on leave. And then he at one point was home from Vietnam very briefly. And he said, you know, I'm being shipped out to California And my mom was pretty surprised because she didn't even know that he was going to be home. He kind of, I don't know what he did, but he kind of made a mistake there and didn't tell her he was going to be on leave. And she happened to be driving by his house and saw him. So he said, yeah, I'm going to California. I'll see you around. And she thought, well, I guess that's that. A couple months later, she found out that he had been in a car accident and was in San Diego Naval Hospital. And she started writing to him. And as a result of the accident, he was discharged from the Marine Corps. He moved back home to Merrick. And they started dating again and got engaged and got married. I thought you were going to then tell me when he was ready to get engaged, he took a ring and like wrapped it up in a newspaper and they said, I have a special (laughs) delivery for you. No, it was actually somewhat romantic. They were on a, a ski trip with a bunch of friends and he proposed to her. Very nice. So let's now take the story uh, into what happens with you. So where are you born and raised after your parents come together? Uh, let's see. My parents' first apartment was in East Rockaway, New York, on Long Island. And I was born while they were living there. We lived on Long Island until I was almost three. And then my dad's work took him to Pennsylvania, just outside of Reading, PA. We lived there for a few years and returned to Long Island. Yeah, it was nine when we moved back to Long Island and we stayed there until I was 16. 
moved back to Pennsylvania. <laughs> and that's where I was living when I finished high school, went to nursing school, then I moved to New York City. All right, so we're going to get into nursing school and New York City in a little bit. So let's go back to your childhood, though, of kind of going between New York, Pennsylvania. And what, what role is religion playing in your life? You told me how your parents were raised. So what's going on in your life from a religious perspective? I was sent to Catholic school beginning in kindergarten and went through Catholic school until the end of sixth grade. We had a move um, between my sixth and seventh grade years, and I begged my parents to let me go to public school. And they relented um, because my younger brother at the time was in public school and he was doing fine. He was doing great. Went to weekly catechism classes, also known as CCD. And he was turning out to be a good kid. He wasn't a, a bad kid. And my parents kind of felt like, well, Karen will probably do okay in, in public school. So I and my three siblings all ended up going to public school from there on. I did a couple years of CCD, the catechism. And then that was it once high school came along. Okay, but this idea you said that you were begging your parents to switch you to public school, aside from the fact of what you just shared about your brother and he seemed to be turning out okay, was there something you were experiencing in Catholic school that was telling you this isn't for me? What, like, what else was behind this desire to switch? I didn't like wearing a uniform. <laughs> <laughs> um, I felt like my friends had some different opportunities in public school that I was missing out on. And I did have friends who were in public school. I. Um, I think when I was really little, um, I thought like, ooh, public school kids, there's something wrong with them. Like they're bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> which for sure they, you know, they are not. But, you know, a little kid's mind works in, in weird ways. So I developed a lot of relationships outside of Catholic school um, because the Catholic school drew from a lot of different towns. Um, the majority of my friends did go to public school because I was friends with kids in our neighborhood. Within your house, were you doing things like the Christmas tree and celebrating Easter and kind of all the main mainstream things? So what was that part of your life like? Yes, we were doing mainstream things. We did Christmas. We did Easter. We all had our first communion, which is a big milestone in Catholic upbringing. We were expected to go to church on days that are called Holy Days of Obligation. There are certain kind of minor feast days, I guess you could say. My mom made sure we went to church on those days. And as far as Easter, my mom tried to keep it a little bit more religious themed as opposed to um, all about Easter bunnies and Easter baskets. Although we did get baskets of candy, which is pretty cool. (laughs) And did you know any Jewish people in public school or have any perspective on Judaism at this stage of your life? I did not have a Jewish friend until I was nine years old. It was our next door neighbors and I didn't even know about Hanukkah. I remember being at the park when I was nine, probably before I got to really know our next door neighbors. And I said to this girl, it was Christmas Eve, I said to this girl, I said, aren't you excited about Christmas tomorrow? And she said, oh, I don't celebrate Christmas. I celebrate Hanukkah. And I was just left scratching my head like Hanukkah, harmonica. (laughs) I really did not know. I had never heard of Hanukkah before. So the fact that you didn't know about it, so that tells me you really had no perspective on 
the practices of people who were Jewish, any of the holidays, what the lifestyle was like. So it's going to be really interesting to hear your story unfold, given where I know it ends up today. Right. But what do you think about that time frame of your life, how little you knew about this whole world? I haven't given it a whole lot of thought, really, because where we grew up, where I grew up in Pennsylvania, it was pretty isolated. We lived in a new development and there weren't a lot of people around to begin with, much less Jewish people. And then when we moved back to Long Island and we were out in Suffolk County, the people I did meet weren't religious or observant. They did celebrate the major holidays. And in fact, when I was in fifth grade, I was invited to their home for Passover Seder. Okay, so you got a little inkling of what it's like. I did. I didn't really understand it all. And... Um, they let me have wine, and I shouldn't have had wine because I was so sick the next day. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember having a great time and having a lot of fun. I remember a lot of joy at the Seder table. All right, so I planted this one good memory in your head that I guess would come out years later as you started to think about going into this lifestyle. And let's progress. So let's progress the story a little bit now to this idea we said about you knowing you wanted to be a nurse. So is this in your high school years as you're thinking about college that you're saying, that's what I think I want to do with my life? No, I wanted to be a nurse probably when I was about five or six years old. I'm not 100% sure why. It could be because I was in the hospital quite a bit as a little girl with asthma. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, back in the day when we didn't have the, the treatments that we have now. So treatment of choice back then was going to the hospital. And it took a while for them to realize that my asthma was allergy related. Once I got allergy shots, I was then out of the hospital. But those um, times were my exposure to the medical world and exposure to nursing. And indeed, you know, I got to know the nurses better, especially when I started going for allergy shots because it was the nurses who gave me my injections. Right. So what do you think was drawing you to the profession? You're, you're having exposure to it. So you're getting to know some of these nurses. What was connecting you to this as a possible profession later on? A desire to help people. It's something I was always pretty good at. It made me feel good to try and help others to feel good. And you kept that in your head all those years through school, all the way till you go to college? Yeah, yeah, I really did. And there were a couple of moments when I thought, well, maybe I should be a lawyer. Because <laughs> my mom told me I was really good at arguing, and I was always arguing with her. I thought you were a peacemaker, you said. Yeah, no, I could, I could really argue with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where did you end up going to college, and what was your major? I went to, I actually went to a traditional nursing school that was based in a hospital in Trenton. It was called, uh, the hospital is no longer there, sadly enough. Um, it was called Mercer Medical Center. It was in Trenton and had a nursing school. It was a three-year program. I lived in the dorm at the hospital and we had classes downstairs. There were multiple classrooms down there. And I also pursued my, like the liberal arts piece at a local community college because the, the hospital and Mercer Community College had a cooperative relationship. What that afforded me was the ability to have a lot of clinical experience, which to me was super important going into nursing. I wasn't so concerned with the book learning I mean, I was, that's important, you have to have that. But I really wanted the hands-on experience and a hospital program was the only thing that was gonna give that to me. And now let's connect this to the religious side. Are you 
uh, going to church on Sunday? Are you still having Christmas, Easter, all that kind of stuff? Or what, what's going on for you from a religious perspective? Christmas and Easter is still going on. The other holidays are still going on. However, by the time I was a senior in high school, I was not going to church as often as I told my mom I was going, which she knows about at this point. You went to hang out with um, your friends instead? No, my sister and I would drive to the mall. Uh-huh. We, we would actually drive to church, pick up a bulletin, and then go to the mall. And we had told my mom, oh, we're going to go to the mall after church. And if she had ever wondered, had we really gone to church, we would have been able to present the bulletin to her as proof of having been to the church. <laughs> a bulletproof plan. Bulletproof plan, and we were never caught. And now, you know, she she has a good laugh over it. I was going to say, you would be you would be caught after this podcast airs if oh, you yeah, haven't told her yet. Sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, but I think it was at that point that I was getting disillusioned with religion. I wasn't finding a connection that other people had. One thing that I didn't mention from my childhood was that occasionally on Sunday nights, my mom would kind of get us together as a family for a devotional of some kind. Like, you know, we would choose something to read from the Christian scriptures. She played guitar and she knew um, various religious songs. So we would do that on Sunday nights very reluctantly on my part. Why do you think that is? I felt self-conscious and strange about it. I had a typical teenager. Typical, yeah, I would say I was a normal teenager, you know, because I was 13, 14, and, you know, I thought it was dorky. (laughs) (laughs) But it actually was kind of like, even though it was a different religion, it was sort of the beginning of let's bring the family together, let's focus on something religious. So it has some parallels to, I think, where your story will probably head. And I imagine people who are listening to the podcast are thinking, okay, she was Catholic. She's getting a little bit disillusioned by it. She's pretending she's going to church. She's going to the mall. And they're wondering, where is that moment that Judaism sneaks its way into your life? So what's that first moment where it, it breaks open the door for you? After nursing school, I was living in the city and definitely disillusioned with all of city life. I wasn't going to church or pursuing anything at that time. And a boyfriend of mine not a boyfriend, my boyfriend then, um, started attending uh, like a non-denominational church that was, um, they called themselves, you know, Bible-based. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And I went with him once and I, I really liked it because there wasn't a lot of the extraneous kind of Catholic stuff, like the things with the saints and the sacraments. And, and I thought, you know, okay, if this group is trying to follow the Bible, it sounds a little bit more reasonable to me. <laughs> what happened, though, was as I kept reading the Bible, more and more of it started conflicting. You know, the, the quote-unquote New Testament with the Old Testament. I stopped being able to reconcile all of that. And I left that church after, you know, attending for about 10 years. Wow, 10 years. So you were on this, yeah. like, journey of thinking maybe you found your place but like the more you dug into it it was you were connecting less and less to it i was connecting less and less to it i was reading things in there that made me question why i was following christianity you know i would read things about sukkot what i know is sukkot now and i would say well you know if this is a continuation of god's plan 
why aren't we celebrating Sukkot? Why aren't we celebrating Purim? You know, those were the things that I, I started noticing. And then, you know, reading about putting a mezuzah on the door, I felt compelled to put a mezuzah on my doorframe in my apartment in New York City. Wow. So let, let me stop you there for a second, because is it, so is this while you're still in this 10 year period that you're going to the church? Yeah. Okay. So you're in this church, but you have the mezuzah up. So I'd have to think when someone comes to visit, they're like, wait a minute, which religion are you? So how are you answering that question? I said, well, it's in the Bible, so I'm doing it. I said, you know what? If you have a problem with it, it's in the Old Testament, so there. <laughs> and what would people say to that? They thought it was really cool. They're like, wow. And then um, uh, one of my roommates was then convinced, convinced that I was really and truly Jewish. That you were born Jewish and didn't know it, or that you should convert? That I just had a Jewish soul. And she even um, bought for me a Magen David necklace at one point. Did you feel that way? I mean, you have your friends saying that. Was that putting ideas in your head like, maybe there is something here? I just knew I was feeling an increased draw to Judaism. I didn't know what that meant for me. I was still kind of in that place where I believed that the only way I could be in a relationship with God was to believe in the Christian deity. So you are starting to learn about Purim, Sukkot, you're putting up a mezuzah. So you have these little like Jewish elements creeping into your head, but at the same time, you're still going to church. Right. You have a friend saying maybe you have a Jewish soul. So you have all these little pieces circling around, but you're, you're not Jewish in any way. You haven't converted. So how does your story advance to thinking that maybe I have to take these ideas a little bit further? I reached a point where I became completely disillusioned with going to church and I just I stopped and I kept through that point I kept searching and I didn't land on Judaism right away after I left the church I looked at um, I tried going back to Catholicism um, that didn't last and I started I, or I should say I continued reading different books um, one important book for me was This Is My God by Herman Woke and I, I had read that, connected with it. I also read a book called Holy Days by a woman by the name of uh, Liz Harris. She was a non-religious Jew who spent um, a year with a Hasidic family in Brooklyn and talked about a cycle of life in the span of a year. It was very, very interesting. And it wasn't until I had really felt like, okay, I'm done with church, that I wanted to keep looking at Judaism, but I didn't know that there was anything I could do about it, if that makes sense. Now, you mentioned uh, a boyfriend at the time who got you involved in the church. So the fact that you said at the time tells me that's not who becomes your husband. So then what's going on on the dating side as you're sort of struggling through where you want to land religiously? Does your husband come in at this point or, or that's later in the story? Right around, right around this point. Yeah. I had gotten tired of going on first date after first date after first date. And I, I kind of swore off the dating thing. And at that time I knew I was pretty sure I should say that I wanted to meet and marry somebody Jewish because I realized I wanted to convert but didn't know that that was a possibility as a single person. Because, Jeff, I'll tell you, I had no, there was no way I could really articulate why I wanted to convert other than I really believed it was right. I believed Judaism was right. 
So around that time, I did meet my husband through a friend. And as we were getting to know each other, at one point I said, oh, you know, what's your upbringing? What's your background? And he said, well, I'm a Jewish American and I'm an atheist. <laughs> and I, I, I laughed. I laughed. I was like, well, he's, he's a nice atheist, but oh, he's Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> he checked one box, I, so we're good. Yeah. How was he raised? So was he reformed? Was he conservative? Did they do like nothing? Like what was his experience? He was, I would say, 99 and 44 one hundredths percent secular. Mm-hmm. He went to his grandparents for um, Passover Seder each year, and and that was it. He is the grandson of Holocaust survivors. Um, his grandparents were from Poland, and they survived the war in Russia. They were in a displaced persons camp, and that's where my mother-in-law was born. She was born in Austria. And then they emigrated to Israel. She lived in Israel until she was 14 or 15 years old. And then the family moved here to the United States. So then as the relationship is starting to get more serious, and I guess the conversation starts to shift to the possibility of marriage, you have a Jewish atheist and a non-Jew trying to plan a wedding, right? So what what are you thinking about in terms of what that's going to look like? I didn't really know. I said to him, I I said to my husband, um, whose name is Michael, by the way, I said to Michael, you know, I would convert for you. And he said, oh, I wouldn't ask you to do that. (laughs) Because I don't even believe in the things. How can I ask you to do it? Right. He said, I wouldn't ask you to do that. And I said, well, I'm not looking to have, you know, a mixed marriage. It's one thing or the other. And I have no attachment to Christianity. So what is he saying to that? I don't remember that he said anything. I think he was a bit surprised. And I, I wasn't too worried about it because I I know I had this certainty in my head that if we were going to get married, I would convert. And however life looked like after that, I wasn't going to worry about it. So then did you end up actually converting before you got married or after? No, we had met in January of 2005. We got engaged in May in May of 2005, and then we got married in September of 2005. So everything went really quickly. I knew I wanted to convert, but by that point, I had already reached out to a synagogue in New York City and never heard back from them. And I thought, you know, I just want to marry this guy. I really love him, and he really loves me. I don't want to wait however long to, you know, convert and then get married. Like I didn't have the understanding of, of that importance, and, and neither did he. I mean, he really didn't care. So we found a Reformed rabbi who was willing to marry us, and we got married in September of 2005. Okay, and, and the talk we're having about conversion, just for our listeners to understand, we're not talking about an Orthodox conversion. At this point, we're talking about something that a Reformed or Conservative rabbi might do for you. That's kind of an easier process. Yes. So do you then, you get to that point after you're married of actually taking that step? Yes, we did. During the first year of our marriage, I was able to convince Michael to come with me to a Reform synagogue in Riverdale. We were living in Riverdale, New York at the time. And we went and it kind of wasn't what we were looking for. I then went to, we thought, okay, let's try the conservative synagogue. And we went and really liked it. And I approached the rabbi and said, my husband and I were married. I'm not Jewish. 
and I want to study to convert. So he met with us. He referred us also to classes at the JCC in Manhattan. Michael was not so interested in classes at the beginning, but our rabbi had said, you know, you really need to go with her because if she's learning something and wants to talk about it with you or she wants to have Shabbat dinner and you're not really sure what's going on, it's going to leave you a little bit in the dark and you might want to be on the same page. And so as you progress with this conversion, are you thinking at that time, all right, once I'm considered Jewish, that's enough. He'll be Jewish. I'll be Jewish. We can have a family. Yes. And we're good. Yes. You're not thinking there's more steps after that. No, I I didn't. I, I mean, I was aware of um, Orthodox Judaism, but didn't think it was something that I could take on. And I didn't think it was something that Michael would take on. In fact, I knew he wasn't, he didn't want to take that on. Okay. So you have the conversion and then... Mm-hmm. What are some of the things you're practicing as a couple? Are you doing some of the holidays? Are you going to shul? What are some of the Jewish parts of your life? We were going to shul. We did Shabbat the best we could. When our son was born, we had the bris. We did the seders as best we could, although we didn't realize that the last two days of Pesach are holidays too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was news to us. We were living in the city, so we couldn't put up a sukkah for Sukkot. But we tried to do as much as we could. I and mean, I really, I kept reading for a bit. I kept trying to learn. I tried to avail myself of all the different things that were going on at synagogue so I could be involved. Okay, but all of this is with a conservative synagogue at this point, right? Right, right, okay. it was. So around uh, the time our son was a year and a half, we decided to leave the city in search of a house with a backyard and we landed in Teaneck, New Jersey. People ask us, why Teaneck? I just knew I wanted to live in a Jewish community. And when we arrived, I was immediately intimidated because I felt surrounded by people who were religious. So wait, you knew, I guess, through your research that Teaneck had a lot of Jews, but you didn't have a sense of Mm -hmm. whether they were conservative or orthodox? Yeah, I didn't know. Until you literally moved into the house and you see people walking on Shabbos and saying, well, these people are a lot more religious than me. Yeah. And we went to the conservative synagogue and shortly thereafter had read an article about, um, it was written by somebody who belonged there and talked about why she was happy being there and how people she knew kept Shabbat and and kept kosher. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're not at that level. We go to the mall on Saturdays. (laughs) Like, oh no. So how do you go from feeling intimidated and thinking, I go to the mall, to maybe there's something here that I want to explore? Ah, Life starts getting very empty with trips to the mall on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. I think also the fact that I'm a nurse and often have to work on weekends, it just... um, Things didn't add up, and life was feeling pretty empty. So my husband and I started going to synagogue more often. Sometimes we would drive because that was where we were. But around that time, I had said to my supervisor at work, I don't want to work on Saturdays anymore. I'll pick up an extra Sunday if I need to. Did it occur to you at this point that... If you wanted to become, quote, more Jewish, like your Orthodox friends around you, did you think I can just declare, like, 
I already converted. I could just declare I want to be conservative, I want to be orthodox, I'll just be whatever level I want to be. Or did you know that if you started getting into this, that maybe that first conversion wasn't going to be, quote, kosher, and there might be more steps to this? It was a little of both. Michael would say to me, you're Jewish. You're 100% Jewish. Nothing is going to change that. To me, you were Jewish. You had a conversion. That's it. But I started, you know, again, I started feeling that that pull that I couldn't describe. And these like nudges, you know, as if Hashem was saying, there's more out there. There's more out there. Because even though I had stopped working on Saturdays and we were trying to, you know, stay off TV and stay off our devices, I knew there was still more. Like, I knew there was more to just once-a-week Judaism. So I kept reading. I would go to the Judaic store in town and get books, and I would read, and I slowly started feeling like, okay, I'm not so happy with the way my conversion went. I'm seeing all these pieces that I wish had happened. I wish we had, for example, I wish uh, the rabbi had requested that Michael and I remarry, you know, and have a kosher ketubah, for example. What happened, though, around that time, as I wanted more and more Judaism, I met a woman by the name of Dina who helped run trips to Israel for women who were unaffiliated and who didn't really have an observant home. And I, when I met her, you know, she hadn't invited me on the trip. I just said, oh, I've always wanted to go to Israel. And that was so much on my heart. She told me about the trip. I applied to go. And that was kind of, it took place around the time where where uh, Michael and I were trying to get more observant. Michael, you know, was moving from this kind of atheistic background to a place where he wanted more than just once a week Judaism. Oh, I bought him a Koran Siddur. I had purchased a Koran Siddur because I wanted, I just wanted more. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> thing I can say, I wanted more. So, um, Right before I leave for Israel on this trip, I'm in shul, and it's Parsha Lech Lecha. And I, <laughs> I know sat where this is there, headed. <laughs> yeah, I sat there listening to the rabbi's drasha, and I just started crying. I just started crying because I knew that that's where, I, I knew something big was going to happen. So I go on the trip, and lo and behold, I meet a woman who who was one of the trip leaders who had converted to conservative Judaism and then moved to orthodoxy. And I was like, well, there it is. That's it. Okay, God, you win. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a very transformative trip. I think there were 20 women on the trip. I got to know my roommate and all I cared about was being in Israel. I had an amazing experience at Kever Rachel it was just a very powerful moment for me. I can't tell you what happened other than I was just overcome with tears and crying. I came back to New Jersey and I said to Michael, I want to do more. I don't know what that means, but I want to do more. This was the end of October, beginning of November 2013. And as it turned out, it was a very snowy winter, which was key because 
At that point, we had stopped driving on Shabbat. We had stopped using all our electronic devices. We were keeping Shabbat to the best of our ability. And um, since we weren't using our car and we were walking, this snowy winter, I reached a point one Shabbat where I said, I, I can't make the walk across town to go to, to shul. And Michael took our son, Eric, and he's like, okay, we're going to go. We're, we're just going to do it. And I said, okay, great. So they left the house. And I was sitting on the couch, and I said, you know what, I'm going to walk up the street to Shari Tefila, which was the Orthodox shul. And I went in and sat in the back and left right away because I didn't want anybody knowing that I didn't know <laughs> what I was doing. <laughs> and when Michael came home that particular snowy Shabbos, and I told him I had gone to Shari Tefila, he said, no, you didn't. I said, yeah, I did. I'm already I'm, I'm home. And by February, I said to Michael, I was like, please, let's, let's just talk to the rabbi and tell him what our story is. And um, he met with us and told him our story. And he said, okay, I think that we should start learning together. And why don't we start now? And <laughs> he did that. He did that. And at that time, um, our son was in the day school, the conservative day school, Solomon Schechter. And um, there was another piece that was kind of speaking to me. It was not meeting our religious needs. And midway through his first grade year, I realized, okay, I need to send him someplace else. And I started researching it and spoke with the head of school at Ben Parat Yosef, told him my story. And he said, you know, I'm going to find out what you need to do. Because he was, that was it. He wasn't sure whether I would need to convert or not, um, because he knew the rabbi who had overseen the conservative conversion. So he did some research for me, and he said, yeah, you know, I think you should, you know, just pursue this through the shul you're going to, Rabbi Shiawitz, and go from there. So he really helped uh, confirm what I was suspecting, that I was going to need to do uh, an Orthodox conversion. Were you thinking, oh, I thought I already did this and I have to do this again, or maybe that first one wasn't right, and I'm kind of glad there's a more official process I'm going to go through now. You know, if you had asked me that question four or five years prior, I would have been absolutely resistant. I would have said, no, I did enough. Everything is fine. But something was prodding me. Hashem kept prodding me and saying, there's a little more, there's a little more, there's a little more. You know, keep looking, keep looking. And I, I did. I'm glad I did. And your son, you said at this time, is around like seven years old, I'm, I'm thinking. So does he know what you and Michael are thinking of doing? Does he have enough maturity to understand and have a perspective or an opinion on this change you're going through? He All he knew from the time he was born was that he is Jewish. Mm -hmm. And he knew that we were trying to increase our observance of the mitzvot. And that's how we framed it. And... Um, when I had to tell him that he was going to go to the mikvah with me <laughs> on the day we converted, I, I framed it in that, you know, that we were taking on more mitzvot and this was an important thing to do. And the rabbis suggested it, and he was fine with that because he was only seven. I didn't give him the whole big thing. It wasn't until a few years later um, when he was about 10 or 11 that we, you know, said, you know, you you're a convert just like me. <laughs> and he was like, wow. And 
I don't think he even thinks about it because, like I said, all he knows is Judaism and um, he loves life as a Jew. And so you just talked about the the difficulties of leaving the conservative world behind. What was the reception like within the Orthodox world and the shul you were going to as you officially finished the conversion process and now you were like full-fledged Orthodox? Oh, it was, we've been so welcomed at our shul from the very beginning. We were invited out to lunch so many times, week after week, we had lunch appointments. And we reached a point after about two and a half months where we were like, okay, I think we need to have Shabbos by ourselves. This <laughs> <work>. <laughs> we just, um, it was, you know, Shabbos after Shabbos, we were out and um, we were so taken care of, so taken care of. And, um, you know, as I got more comfortable with, um, talking about my conversion, I would tell people, I I would just tell people because it wasn't anything I felt like I needed to hide. I feel like Hashem has done amazing things in my life. There is a a story I wanted to share that I had kind of glossed over. It was a random Friday night when I was, I guess I was around 32, 33. I was living on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, believe it or not. And I was going out on a Friday night. I was waiting for the elevator outside mine and my roommate's apartment. And I could hear singing from one of the apartments near the elevator. And I knew it it was Shabbat. I knew it was a Shabbat dinner. And I remember standing there looking at that door with such longing. And I knew in my soul that that was where I needed to be. And in fact, I said that to myself. I said, that's where I really should be right now. And little did I know, I could have knocked on their door and said, can I join you? (laughs) And they most likely would have let me in (laughs) and had me join them. Um, But I I didn't know enough to do that. And um, that that moment was really uh, a powerful moment for me. I mean, it's probably 20 years later now at this point, and I can still remember it like it was yesterday. It sounds wonderful. And I'm just wondering what's on the horizon now for you in terms of like goals from your Jewish growth? Like what do you hope happens over the next three to five years for you and your family? That we just keep growing, really, that we don't stop in observing the mitzvot, that we're open to broadening our our Judaism, that we continue clinging to Hashem and that we get to Israel as a family. We've tried a few times and you know, for some reason, there's been a hard stop along the way. So we're hoping to get there as a family together. My husband went when he was 10. I went on the women's trip um, in 2013. And our son has yet to go there. And we'd like to go as a family before he um, goes on his own. (laughs) And uh, maybe he'll end up doing the uh, NCSY COLO. I know it's pretty popular for the kids uh, between sophomore and junior year. So we'll see. Yeah, he's he's thinking about that. He, he is thinking about that. And so are we. Beautiful. Okay, so now at this point of the interview, it's time for what we call the lightning round. I'm going to ask you some super fast questions. So are you ready? Okay. Okay, so the first question I'm going to ask you, you are not allowed to answer, I enjoy helping people. Because the question is, what's the most rewarding thing about being a nurse? And I know you said earlier how much you like helping people. So what's what's the second thing about it? Um, well, I do visiting nursing, and it affords me the opportunity to really build relationships with my patients. And it's something I really treasure. And what do you think is the hardest thing as an Orthodox Jew in being a nurse? Finishing my work on time on Friday afternoons in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> 
which I have been able to do, but it's still stressful. <laughs> and I think anybody who's Orthodox and is working knows what Friday afternoon feels like. So we hear that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. what's one thing you'd like people who are born Jewish to know about people who convert to Judaism? What comes to mind is, I forget what Parsha it's in, but when Hashem commands us to watch out for the stranger, I used to kind of stumble over that. I didn't really understand why that was important. But I can say now that holidays can be really, really hard for us. Sometimes it's hard to see um, friends go to extended family and, you know, sit at tables with 20 and 30 family members to celebrate a holiday. For us, thank God we have our friends, but we don't have that kind of extended religious family. So it does get a little lonely sometimes. Yeah, I really hear that one because my wife and I always say that we're like when Rosh Hashanah comes around and everybody in shul is like, oh, we're going to Florida to be with this family and we have all these other family coming in and we're saying, well, no one in our family is really celebrating Rosh Hashanah in that way. So it's going to be just us. And we tell our kids, yeah. we hope you have big families and maybe you can make up for this yes. down the road. <laughs> <laughs> I have told my son that I say, mate, you should be married into a big family and <laughs> Take us along wherever you go. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. And the last question, you mentioned how you had this two and a half month stretch of being invited out for meals, but I imagine by now you're also doing more meals at home. So what is the signature dish when you have somebody over to your house for Shabbos? I've actually started making something really amazing from um, my Irish heritage. It's something called Colcannon. It's um, mashed potato with sautéed cabbage and onion mixed together and baked, and it is amazing, and it's been a real crowd pleaser. (laughs) You've sold me. I can't wait to taste that someday. (laughs) It's delicious. And Karen, you are officially out of the lightning round, and I want to thank you for joining me on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so much. I so enjoyed this, Jeff. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our executive producer is Rabbi David Pardo. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit TachlisMedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at TachlisMedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.